Hello and a very warm welcome to the first 2021 edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. So much has changed since we last spoke to you in December, including a riot at the heart of American democracy and the widespread availability of coronavirus vaccines, which we all hope will lead to a way out of this lockdown. Some things happily remain the same, namely the Ratings Radar crew. I'm Richard Lander, and as ever, I'm joined by co-host Angus Foote. Adjusting the dials and making us sound good is producer Alan Walsh. And of course, we have our two research mavens, Nisha Long and Frank Talbot. Frank is here to talk to us today about China equities, supremely topical as investors consider the risks surrounding this sector. These range from delisting of certain Chinese stocks uh, deemed unacceptable by the US authorities to the disappearance of the country's best known entrepreneur. And we're going to hear from Frank soon, but we're going to start with Nisha, uh, and she is here to tell us about a brand new CityWire ratings radar sector, uh, which, again, could hardly be more timely. So, Nisha, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Um, Yes, I'm excited to talk about the few sectors that we have currently carved out for citywide sectors. We have five in total under thematics, which include equity, clean energy, robotics, water, agriculture and equity ecology. Um, And I think Angus has mentioned this a few times and talking about investors looking at themes um, for investments. It's a growing area of themes and a lot of money has been going into these sectors. And it was very important to carve out these sectors due to the popularity of these funds. There's more funds in this space now that we can actually have peer group analysis in them and look at manager performance. And with um, ESG really taking off last year, so it's been a trend um, for the last couple of years now, I've really been in the forefront. Um, I want to talk about equity ecology, which is one of our newer sectors. Um, and we cover around uh, 119 funds in the sector and 108 managers. So it's quite a big sector relative to some others that we cover. And um, in for flows, it was in the top three for European domiciled funds. So about 20 billion euros went into the sector just last year, which is huge uh, for such a niche kind of a thematic kind of sector. And that was actually driven by UK investors with 1.3 billion, Switzerland with 1.1 billion and France at 1.3 billion. So, you know, there's a lot of money going into this sector. Uh, Um, Nisha, you've got, you've got, you mentioned those sectors, the thematics, they're all very exciting. Just define ecology for us, if you would. Yeah, so that would be by looking at biodiversity and looking at environmental factors and also climate change as well, which has all come to the forefront, especially after the COVID-19 um, breakout. But these sectors really do home in on the E side of ESG. And you have some, obviously, governance will be in there and some social issues as well. So it's a very important sector. And not in that, if investors want to look at the environmental sector on its own and invest in it, you know, this is a perfect sector to look at and to give you an idea of what managers are available and performance as well. Um, I do want to talk about a couple of managers um, who have come out of our ratings um, this uh, month for looking at their three-year risk-adjusted performance. Um, the first one is... Uh, well, first two are Garvin Garbush and Jeremy Deans. Now they run the Shelton Green Alpha Fund, but now this, they are AAA rated, um, but this is just a US domiciled fund. So I'm just gonna move on quickly to the next one, which is Simon Weber, who's a AAA rated manager on the Schroeder Global Climate Change Fund. Um, it's more widely available 
as well. Um, the fund is just over 2.4 billion euros in size. So it's a hefty sized fund. And it's taken in 750 million euros last year. So during the market crash and ongoing, you know, it has continuously taken in uh, money from investors. And it really has a mix of stocks. So Amazon, Vesta's Wind Systems, which we've talked about last year um, in this podcast, Samsung and Schneider Electric as well. And it's returned 66% over the last three years, which is quite good considering you know, the market that we had last year. And just quickly moving on, just one manager I really want to mention and should get the limelight in this sector is Manfred Fiegel. He manages the Green Benefit Global Impact Fund. Um, it just had, in comparison to Weber's fund, 58 million euros of inflows last year. And the fund size is just 138 million. So in comparison, it's a small fund, but the returns were phenomenal. Um, 244% over the last three years in US dollar terms to the end of December. Um, this is while his index that we've assigned, the two I have assigned, the Wilderhill New Energy GLB Innovate Index returned 176. So in comparison, almost double the amount. Got the lights index. out. Exactly. And it's one of the best performing funds of 2020. So I wrote an article last week of the top 10 best performing. It was in there. And I'm not surprised at all. Um, it invests in hydrogen fuel cells, wind and solar energy, organic foods as well, and electric uh, mobility some of the themes in there and what really propelled his fund was the hydrogen and fuel cell companies which he thought were too expensive for him before but due to the market crash they took advantage of 50 percent falls in these companies so he invested in the likes of itm power and sarah's power which have done fantastically well and so yeah there's a trend that we need to work look out for over to you, Angus. You've been talking to well, CEOs. Is this the know, future? I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear these stats, Nisha, because you and I have spent quite a lot of time talking about how we subdivide ESG categories. I mean, now everything is ESG. How do you start segmenting that universe in a, in a more effective and meaningful way? But the other thing, and, and to me also, this is an area where themes meets ESG, which are two of the big stories that we've been hearing from the professional investor audience for a long time now. You know, the themes themes are very popular. ESG is everywhere. Bring those things together and, and you've really got something pretty dynamic. But you and I also have talked about how the emphasis is switching a little bit in ESG from the E to the S. And I guess we're looking backward here a bit, aren't we? And we're seeing that, that these, these funds in the E segment are actually maturing pretty fast, aren't they? I mean, 2.4 billion in that Schroeder fund, you know, 119 funds in, in what you'd have said was a niche sector a very short time ago. So I, I think that's, um, that's a really interesting set of developments. Uh, and, I, and I guess the thing to watch now is, does the S part of ESG fuel a similar kind of surge of assets into funds that play that space? Yeah, I think, um, you know, with these funds as well, they've always considered some kind of social factor in these funds. But it's never been, for example, it's never been really reported on. So people don't usually talk about it. So it's only come about since last year, 
in you know from what I've seen and I've been working on ESG funds for almost four years now you know looking at the developments and ecology is one of those sectors it's always been there those funds have always been there easy to identify because of the name of the funds so you, you know the objectives it's quite easy to see where they're coming from but where it becomes hard is okay how do you know if it's a you know the social implications how are they you know managing that how they're integrating that kind of those kind of factors but I think now they you know when you know selectors are interrogating fund managers it is on their agenda they they say okay you've got the e covered how about the s and now how yeah. about the g you know uh, and also wonder. then i suppose in that context this kind of accurate meaningful categorization that that, that you've worked on becomes yeah. absolutely key so people can then get on to that ne ne next level of absolutely. how they're doing it how yeah they're yeah it. so if they've got a nicely carved out sector you can see who the managers are you can see what the funds are and then start digging in and asking those tough questions mm. to the fund managers the uh i think we might be developing a regular slot on here called has the world gone completely mad and um, <laughs> in this slot this week i'd like to bring in uh, one of the hydrogen firm, cell firms you didn't mention was Plug, Plow, Plug yeah. Power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they announced a deal with Renault uh, last week and uh, eyebrows didn't get so much raised as, as shoot through the ceiling because uh, Plug Power has gone up about 20 times over the past year and is now worth, it has sales of something like $230 million and is now worth twice as much as Renault, which produces 55 billion euros of of, of sales uh, and to use a motoring cliche this is where the rubber hits the road is this is this justified has it gone totally bonkers uh, you know a, 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 it's not a startup it's been around for a while plug power uh, but something a tiddler being worth two and a half times as much as one of the great car producers of the world I don't know yeah, I think it's got some legs. Um, I think, sorry. Um, no, you carry on. Yeah, well, KPMG recently had a report out saying that hydrogen is the number one trend going into towards, you know, 2025. So I think it is something to watch out for. I think we're in a world, aren't we, where everyone's looking for new paradigms and everyone's looking for not just the next hot thing, but the kind of the next total game changer. And there is a feeling that some of these traditional heavyweight mainstream stocks car makers for example are, are you know in decline now, now that may or may not be true but there certainly seems to be this this leaping from one you know one one next hot thing to the next next hot thing that seems to be a real a real buzz at the moment go on frank because we need to segue into china in a second so let's come to you well, I was just going to say about hydrogen. I had uh, my boiler service the other day and I was asking him about whether he's going to be out of a job in, in a few years. And um, because of all this ground source heat pumps, air source heat pumps and stuff. And he said, actually, I can't remember how long, but every boiler installed in the UK has a plug to just switch over automatically to hydrogen power when that comes online. So uh, I didn't know that. So yay, yay for hydrogen. Good. Well, uh, we'll be tuning in to you, Frank, soon on heating to find out your annual oil purchases, uh, where you made such a killing last year. So uh, we'll get that in the next edition. But Frank, let's stick with you, because China was a new paradigm not so long ago, and it's now become the centre of growth in the world. Uh, but the year ended uh, on a pretty uncertain note, didn't it, as far as uh, Chinese equities are concerned? Yes, yeah, so China is in the news at the moment, uh, not for all the right reasons. Uh, definitely the winner in terms of economic rebound and equity market returns last year. 
But the situation regarding Alibaba founder Jack Ma's uh, apparent disappearance, um, having not been seen since the end of October, is a real concern. You know, this follows his comments about state intervention in the banking sector, which cut which cut off the AMP Group uh, IPO. Um, he's gone AWOL, uh, and that's had a, a detrimental impact on the price of Alibaba. It was down 30%. It's recovered a little bit down, off 21% um, since his, uh, his, his comments. And it's up a bit because on the back of the news of um, the, that Alibaba isn't one of those companies that's going to be blacklisted from the US, in, as with uh, Tencent and Baidu as well. Um, but the Chinese government's launched this antitrust probe into the, the, the company. And it's very uncertain how far Beijing plans to take it. It's Jack Ma versus Beijing, and Beijing looks like it's winning. Um, but this could have a real impact on investors in the company and in China in general. And it's a stark reminder that the rules followed in other countries don't really apply here, um, given that Alibaba is probably the most well-known Chinese company outside of China. That's a real concern. Lots of funds own it. It's easily accessible, both as a US ADR and a Hong Kong listing. I mean, actually not owning it prior to this would have been a little unusual for a fund investing in China or Asia Pac in general, given the phenomenal returns, given its weight in the index, over 14% of the MSCI China. Angus wants to come in yeah, here. Frank, do, do, do you not think there's a case for saying it's surprising how little effect the Jack Ma situation has had? Because you, you're right, there has been some noticeable and significant effect, but perhaps not as much as you might expect. If 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 the Chinese government was really intervening to the extent where it was plucking chief executives off these big, you know, flagship companies and uh, and, and and effectively you know, redirecting them itself. If, if, if people or if investors generally thought that that was going to happen again and again and again, wouldn't we see more people heading for the door? There's still lots of China bulls out there. Oh, yeah, massively still loads of China bulls. And the good news is that doesn't have, seem to have had an effect on the, the Chinese stock markets. You know, all the China indices up around a 6% this year. Tencent and Baidu are flying, jumping 15% uh, year to date. That's only a few trading days. Uh, and that's just a little behind Tesla's 20% gain. So yeah. if you're only a bit off Tesla, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. I mean, we did, um, we, we regularly do these roundtable discussions with private bank CIOs. Nisha's part of that. And uh, we, we do that regularly. And I remember back in May of 2019, there was a real uh, live debate and lively debate around whether or not China should be a separate allocation away from uh, the rest of Asia and emerging markets and so on. And, and so those guys, those allocators were debating that actively in, in early 2019. By 2020, that was a done deal. It was a given that China was worth its own separate allocation. And, and the thing that they were worried about most then was the trade war, as it then was between the US and the China, the US and China. But they weren't worried so much about the effect on China as the effect on the global economy of an ongoing trade mm. war. It wasn't don't buy China because of the trade war. It's look out, the trade war might impact on the rest of the world. Yeah. And then we've got a new dimension of that. We've got Biden taking over. On the 20th of January, all things being equal. Yeah, and, and on the delisting thing, sorry, Richard, to interrupt, no, but just right. on the delisting point that you mentioned at the beginning, uh, I, I maybe I'm off the pace here, but I haven't seen anything about how long that's likely to last. I mean, surely Trump put this, this process in place. Biden could reverse it. We could yeah. see a relisting. We, we could indeed. I mean, you know, this is one of Trump's last acts. Apparently he's now 
taking stuff out of the White House, you know, statues and, and, and other bits of furniture. And along with it, you know, he's, he can do pretty well anything he wants uh, because everyone says, oh, it's only going to be a week or two and then Biden can reverse it. I don't think we have a great clue about Biden's China policy. I mean, you know, there's... Uh, there's lots of reasons why you should take a reasonably hard line. We just we just don't know. So ultimately, uh, it's it's it's, an, it's another card that Biden can play when when he gets in, uh, and it's it's a little bit of power that he can possibly exert over over China. Um, before before we ring off, though, I should probably talk about people you can access in in China. Um, yeah, so enthusiasm has not been curbed at all. Thing to note is if you want to access Alibaba and Tencent, you might look at this as a buying opportunity into Alibaba. Um, they're not on the domestic A share market. So you want to buy a China equity fund or a greater China fund. Sticking with China equity, um, last year I spoke about JPM China and Allianz All China Equity in this category. Still funds going great guns, but to name a few more names, uh, one is New Capital China Equity, which is run by AAA rated Jeff Lee and Chris Chan. Uh, this is an interesting fund in that it does have a high weighting to China A shares, around 40% of the fund. And interesting, still in light of this news, doesn't have Alibaba as a significant holding. Looks like it's dumped it on the news. So it had it as the top holding at the end of September, but now it's nowhere to be seen from the top 10. And it's a, a position they've held since November 17. So that's quite a, a big call. Uh, instead, the chief holding is Tencent. Fund was up 68% in 2020, helped by large allocations to Meituan, uh, which was up 189%. It's a quarter of a trillion market cap company, if you're not aware of it. Um, that is the everything app for the service economy in China. Initially, didn't have a great start to the pandemic. Restaurants closed and travel seized up. But uh, it's a food delivery business thrived in the year. It's a 5% stake in, in the fund. It's also been riding the PDD or Pinduo Duo wave. It's another of China's e-commerce giants. It was up an astonishing 370% last year, 140% of that coming in the fourth quarter. And it was one of those companies benefited hugely from this antitrust probe into Alibaba because it's, it's an alternative. And it's now a 200 billion market cap company uh, and it's another 5% stake in the fund. Um, in terms of another alternative, uh, everyone's favorite growth house, Bailey Gifford with their China fund. Uh, it's another fund with adopting that blended approach, uh, but with slightly less in the A-share market, around 30% or so does have Alibaba as its largest holding, 9.4% stake in the fund, then Tencent 9.2%, also has Meituan Dianping um, as another 5% stake as uh, with the new capital fund, a company they picked up actually last year, mid-February. Uh, and then it's got Ping An Insurance, Ping An Bank, JD.com, China Merchants Bank, companies that didn't have the most spectacular years, but despite that, the fund was still up 60%. So they're certainly doing something right. Well, we'll take that. Uh, brilliant. Uh, we're going to wrap up there. Uh, Angus, we forgot to ask how your trip to the dentist was. Everything all right? <laughs> it's a long story, Richard. I won't <laughs> bore our listeners with that. We'll save that for the next episode. <laughs> uh, so, Angus, thank you. Thank you, Frank and Nisha and Alan for uh, keeping it all together. We'll be back in a fortnight with another episode of the CityWire Ratings Radar podcast. Until then, from me, Richard Lander, thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. 